Well, good morning. My name is Brad. I'm the worship pastor here at Fox Valley Church, and we're so excited. I'm so excited to keep uh, continuing our study of the book of Ruth, but I just wanted to start out this morning and let you know we're ending the service with texting. So my wonderful, beautiful wife, who was just up here uh, sharing about Replanted, she's going to come back, and she's going to ask me some questions. So whatever God is putting on your heart from this message this morning, that chapter 3 is stirring something in you, a question, or maybe from chapter 1 or chapter 2, feel free to text in. We want to navigate some of these waters. I love it when we take time and, and just trust in the Spirit to navigate some of these conversations. So text in. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's how we're going to close our message out. I got no hilarious stories for you this morning. We're going to dive right in because there is so much to get to. This is an amazing, amazing story we see in chapter 3. So I'm going to go about 70 miles per hour for the context, and then I'll slow down a little bit. But you got to follow me here on the context. If you've missed a week or two, shame on you. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but if you have, here's what we studied in Ruth chapter 1. There is a famine in the land of Judah. And in, in Bethlehem, Naomi and her family are living, and they leave to go to Moab, her and her husband and her two sons. And they leave to find food, and when they get to Moab, their hus her husband dies. Elimelech dies, and her two sons, Milan and Kilian, die. And so there's this big trial that comes to Naomi, and she's really, really bitter about it. And so what happens is when she's in a field, she hears that God has visited his people back in Judah, and, and, he's, and he's released this famine, and he's had compassion for his people. And so Naomi goes back to Judah with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And Ruth shows unbelievable loyalty and commitment and faith in Yahweh and choosing to follow Yahweh, but Naomi is left bitter. In chapter 2, most of our story takes place in a field, and what happened is God's kind providence was on display as Ruth just happened, right, to stumble upon Boaz's field. And we find out that Boaz is a special family rep representative. He's a relative of Elimelech. <clears throat> And Naomi even sees God's kindness. She says, surely God's kindness has been upon us. And today we're in chapter 3 where our story takes place on the threshing floor at the time of harvest. And we're going to see a bold approach to redemption. All right, here's my main point this morning in the text is we should approach God with boldness because he is willing and able to redeem us. If you are willing and able to take notes, I would encourage you to do that, because that's something that can help you remember things, whether on your phone or if you write it down, I encourage you to take notes. But we should approach God with boldness, because he's willing and able to redeem us. If you get out your Bibles, we're going to be in Ruth chapter 3, starting with verse 1, and as you turn to the 8th book of the Bible here in the Old Testament, some weeks have gone by in between chapters. So maybe a month, maybe four to six weeks have gone by, and now we get to where we are. If you're able to stand to honor God's word, I invite you to stand. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. 
Father, God, I thank you for your word. Your word is living and it's active and your spirit is living and active with us this morning. What a powerful combination that we have to be transformed, God. Would that happen? In Jesus' name, you be glorified as we are shaped more into the image of Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. We remember Boaz, right? He's the kinsman redeemer. The Hebrew word is goel, G-O-E-L, goel. And the purpose of, of this, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 25. You can go read about it. But the Goel had different roles. And one of the roles that the family Goel had was if a man died and left behind a childless widow. So that's Naomi in this situation, right? Her kids die. Her husband dies. In this exact scenario, a law was instituted that there would be a Goel who could help provide for and protect this woman as well as uh, preserve their family name. So this is a a beautiful law that shows God's uh, care and and love for the vulnerable, that he wants them to be protected, that he cares for them. And so there's other roles that the Goel would do, and I encourage you to go look that up. What other roles did the kinsman redeemer have? Because there's quite a few, but this was one of them, and Boaz is a family redeemer. We're told that he's winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Like, what? If you're like me, you're the opposite of a farmer. I am the opposite of a farmer. I'm just going to throw that out there. What in the world does that mean to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor? Let me unpack it for the other brads who are out there. In biblical days, right, they don't have machinery. So after uh, getting all of the grains and harvest over weeks and weeks, then it's, it's separated from the straw and the husks by beating it manually. So they would have animals step on this or, or people beat it down manually. And then they, they did this thing called winnowing with winnowing forks. And there's a picture here that they would take these uh, winnowing forks and they threw the mixture in the air and so that the chaff would be separated. So essentially the chaff is, is the bad unwanted pieces of the harvest and so the chaff, or it's all thrown in the air, and the chaff blows away by the wind, and all the good grain falls to the floor. If this sounds familiar to you, it's because throughout Scripture and the prophets and in the New Testament even, this is, is mentioned of God separating uh, good and evil, or his true followers and those who maybe are pretending. And I think there's actually a great wisdom in our culture right now that, that this brings about over the last few years. Maybe God has been separating the chaff in some different ways, but I don't have time to totally unpack that. Maybe in my little extra sermon tidbit on social media, I'll bring us more into that. But here is how they pre- prepare and process food. And Naomi is saying, go observe the place where he lies. So Boaz would be doing what oftentimes was done by the owner of a field, as he's prepared, he's worked hard for weeks and weeks, and, and his grain is, is going to be there overnight, and so he's going to sleep by it. He's going to sleep by it. Remember, we're in the time of Judges. Our story takes place in the time of Judges, where it's said multiple times that people did what was right in their own eyes. So Boaz is, is saying here, no, I worked really, really hard on this. I'm not going to let someone come do what's right in their own eye and steal my hard-earned grain. So right off the bat, we, we see two things. We see something that is very, very clear, and we see something that is unclear. What's clear is that Naomi is playing matchmaker, right? Not, I mean, right, that's very, very obvious. Naomi is playing matchmaker. She wants Ruth to win over Boaz. No question. That's exactly what's happening. What is unclear is Naomi's motive and how she's going to counsel 
Ruth to go about doing this. So she gives her some very practical advice, right? Bathe yourself. Put on perfume. I want to say, if you are a single woman and you're interested in courting with a man, this is very good practical advice. Take a bath, right? Take a bath. Smell nice. This, this is very good practical advice, right? And, uh, and change your clothes. So she may have been wearing clothes of mourning, like that, that, that signified that she was going through this suffering and this trial. So she's wearing, most likely wearing these clothes. And Naomi says, put on clothes that reveal you're now available. You're no longer in this season of mourning. Do this and approach him after he's eaten food and drank wine. Now, I, I want to throw out there, you know, Naomi had a husband, and, and women who have had a husband, you start to learn about men, right? <laughs> the good and the bad, right? And uh, Naomi has insight, right? So if you want to get advice from another person, it's good to get advice from someone who's actually been there, right? So Naomi's had a husband before. She knows how to approach a man. Have you heard the phrase, man is in a better mood on a full stomach? Right? This is very good practical advice. Hey, before you present your list of requests to him, make sure he's satisfied. He got his chicken wings, right? Let him watch some of the game and then come and present your list to him. I'm being facetious, right? But after this long, hard day of work, it's late at night, it's, it's midnight. She's like, go uncover the sheets of his, at his feet. Why do that? Well, his feet would get cold and he'd wake up. Now, I, I do want to say this sounds much more provocative to us, maybe, than it would have to them. I, I do want to state that. And I also want to say God would never glorify, right, sexual promiscuity in his word. So I, I, I want you to have that base of understanding as we talk about this. To lay at someone's feet in this cultural time, it was more of an act of humility, right? To, to, to lay at their feet, servants oftentimes did this. But I do want to say, no matter how strong the cultural context is here, Ruth and Boaz are human beings, right? Flesh, just like you and me are human beings, and we have a nature about ourselves. So my point is, this is a bold plan. That's my point. Naomi is suggesting Ruth to do something that could elicit a, a, a sexual response from Boaz. It could. I mean, why not just have a conversation with him in the middle of the day? That's, that's a question I would ask Naomi. I don't know. Maybe she had a reason. But instead, she goes about this risky midnight maneuver, right? This midnight maneuver. Let's, let's go to him and do this. And why is she saying that? Is she trying to expedite the process, hoping that there will be that physical encounter that essentially would seal the deal and then being married and thus Naomi being taken care of, maybe. Or maybe she so trusts the character of Boaz that he would respond with, with integrity. We don't really know. The author doesn't tell us. But at the very least, what I, I want to pull out of this is it's a compromising situation for Ruth. One where she would need courage, she would need faith, that God would protect her, that Boaz would not take advantage of her. And that's my first point this morning is that bold plans can lead to compromising situations. Bold plans, or another way you could say it is, is maybe like human plans or human reasoning. Bold plans can lead to compromising situation. Okay, one hand, I really want to affirm this idea of, of taking the boldness of Naomi and Ruth to approach their kinsman redeemer. So for us, remember, who does Boaz play in the story? Does anyone know who Boaz is foreshadowing and representing? 
Jesus. Yes, that's always a good answer, right? If you're asked a question, Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. And, and, and Ruth is representing us, the Gentile church. So again, on one hand, what a beautiful display of boldly approaching the only one who can help and save, right? In Hebrews 4, 16, it says, boldly approach the throne of grace that you may find grace and mercy in your time of need. What a beautiful picture for us to do. And although maybe the first couple sentences that Naomi says about uh, bathing and, and, and smelling nice are good practical steps, I don't think the rest of, the, of, of what Naomi says is good practical advice for us right now. And let me just share. I have a two-year-old daughter. I don't even like to think about one day when her being married, right? I mean, it just, that, that just sounds really weird. But one day, right, when she's a teenager, here's what I don't foresee yours truly saying to her. Hey, honey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bathe, and I want you to change into clothes that, that represent that you're available, and I want you to go to some guy's house that you're really, really interested in. And I want you to climb up to his room like a ninja. And then I want you to open his covers. No. Right? No. No way am I going to suggest that my daughter do that. We don't know why Naomi came to this place. We know it was a different cultural context. But regardless, it's a bold plan. And so now I, I want to turn it to you, church family. When you make plans, when you make plans... To, to take a job, uh, plans to move, plans to propose or pursue another person. Do you consult scripture or, or receive godly counsel? That's my question for you. Do you really actually pray about it in a way where you're listening for God to give you input? As a pastor, I find that people are just making decisions and doing things without oftentimes really, really seeking God or seeking other people's advice because we don't want to hear things that, that are, go against our natural will and what we desire. But we can deceive ourselves. I'm going to give you a really practical example. I didn't share this in the first service, but you know, my wife and I, we had a, a, two, a I think he was one and a half at the time or two. Our, our son Amari, he's now three and a half, but we, we were fighting for him in court and we got pregnant, right? That's just a crazy thing happens. We're getting a, a foster kid, adopted kid, and then we get pregnant. Well, then we find out that Amari's mom had another baby while Emily's six months pregnant. And we thought, this is what God's calling us to do. Wow, this is going to be really hard, but this is what God's calling us to do. And I said, Emily, I need to reach out to men who have three kids and ask them, what am I getting myself into? That's exactly what I did. I talked to about five guys that have at least three kids. And I said, please speak into my life. This is what feels right, but what are you actually calling me to do? I just, I find that I can be so easily deceived if left to my own volition, right? Here's an example, and this happened at our church, actually. I'll give you a very specific example. There was a family, a beautiful family, this is years ago, and they came to Fox Valley Church, and they flourished. I mean, they joined a life group, they were serving, attending every week. I mean, God was doing stuff in their life, and he gets a job promotion to move away. And he had already moved a few times with his family, and, and he took it. And, and to my knowledge, he didn't consult anybody. And I, I don't know, maybe he did, but to my knowledge, he didn't. And he ran his family in the ground. They got divorced, and all this sad, tragic stuff is happening. And I'm like, man, were you just chasing a paycheck? Like, did you actually ask people, God, what do you want for my life? Don't just leave a healthy church body and family unless God is really calling you to go. Another example that I just wanted to unpack is those who are single and these dating websites. 
Now, when I courted Emily, we, we met at church, the kind of that, you know, traditional way, and I don't even know what dating sites were available. I think eHarmony was around, anybody? I think it was around, but, but now there's probably so many, and I don't know anything about them, so I'm not saying they're good, I'm not saying they're bad, but this is a, a, a framework that I think you should be walking in. If you're looking at dating websites, are you trusting in God's providence to faithfully provide for you? Are, are you faithfully in the moment where God has called you to be serving the Lord? Or are you trying to expedite God's process? I just think it's a question that we should ask, right? Because I know that the dating world these days, I, I don't envy that. I, I think there's so many challenges to try to navigate, but asking ourselves, am I faithfully serving God where he's called me in this moment? Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Naomi strategizes this bold plan, and it led to a potentially compromising situation. One, if not handled with integrity and character, could have resulted in pain and sin. But we're going to see Ruth handle this with such dignity um, she's going to boldly approach Boaz, but is he willing and able to help? Let's keep reading with verse 6, chapter 3, verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Ruth follows through on her word here, right? She's a woman of her word, and she does exactly what Naomi commanded her to do. And it says she came softly. I think of her like on her tiptoes, right? Just tiptoe, trying not to wake anybody, not to stir anybody up. There probably were other people outside, uh, in the field as well, and uh, she uncovers his feet and lays down. Here's a picture. I'm a visual person, and just to help you kind of visualize what's happening here, and at midnight, Boaz gets startled and he wakes up. Most likely his feet get cold. Cold feet's a terrible thing, isn't it? I hate having cold feet. And he gets cold feet, and he wakes up. Now, I find his response very interesting, because although we don't get tone in Scripture, Boaz is guarding his grain. So an unknown visitor, right, or, or someone that he's not expecting just showing up and he wakes up and sees them, I, I could see more of a defensive response. But he just says, who are you? That's great practical advice. If a stranger approaches you at night, ask them who they are, right? <laughs> That's really good. That's really good. Um, and, and I think it's interesting, too, because, like, when I wake up in the middle of the night, I don't have a gentle response at all. In fact, uh, my wife and I, we joke about this, because apparently I'm, like, this really physical abuser when I wake up in the middle of the night. Like, she'll be like, Brad, you hit me last night. And I'm like, what? That's not like me at all. And she's like, no, I woke you up. And I'm like, well, that's the first problem, right? Waking me up. I'm just kidding. But, but she said, I, like, flail. 
huh, huh, you know, and I wave my arms and I'll like pop her on accident. It's terrible. She's like, you abused me. I'm like, I don't know anything about this, right? But he wakes up and he just says, who are you? She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Isn't that so humble? I'm Ruth, I'm your servant. She had some rights by law to come and ask Boaz to fulfill this Goel role, and yet she still approaches them with humility, like boldness and humility. What a dynamic combination. And she says, to spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. The actual translation says, to spread your skirt over me. And it's interesting, even in present day, when a Jew marries a woman, he actually spreads the end of his talith over her to represent that he's taking her under his wings of protection. That's still something that happens today. And so Ruth is saying, I am available. In addition to her being available, it seems as if she's playing off the very same words from Boaz in chapter 2, verse 12. If you remember, this is what he tells Ruth, Boaz does in chapter 2, you have treated Naomi well and the Lord repay you under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's like Ruth is now saying, hey Boaz, remember last month in the field where you told me that, that I've come under the protection of God? Yeah, I want you to be the fulfillment of that. I want you to be the one to actually spread your wings over me. You represent Yahweh. And he responds, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, poor, rich. What Boaz is saying here is he's pleased. He is happy that Ruth has approached him. He sounds keen on her. He's glad she's there. And he says, do not fear. I will do all that you ask. I want you to see the significance of this moment, the significance of what's happening right now. Boaz is approached in the middle of the night, right? He's approached in the middle of the night by a a woman, a beautiful woman, who is essentially asking him to marry her. He had the ability to force himself on her. He could have said, there's a woman I want, and I have this by right, but he's kind enough to not act as the Goel unless Ruth actually desired him to. There's a lesson in there, right? That's beautiful. Talk about integrity. I'm not going to do this unless you want me to do this. He tells Ruth that everyone knows you're a worthy woman. I want to talk about reputation for a minute. Ruth's reputation has gotten out. Don't we all want people to look at our life and say, wow, you're a godly person? I mean, does everyone want that, right? Nod your head if you want that. Yes, I want people to look at my life and, and see godly characteristics. And that's exactly what's happening with Ruth. Every, all my fellow townsmen know you are a worthy woman. Some translations say virtuous woman. Some of you may already know this, but in Proverbs 31, it talks about a wife, a noble character. It's the same Hebrew word used here. A wife, a noble character, a worthy, virtuous woman. Women, don't you want to be known as that? It's beautiful. Having moral strength, having integrity. We see some different characteristics of Ruth, and I unpacked them in the last chapter, and there's so many. This is not exhaustive, but here's some more I wanted to bring up. We see that Ruth is responsible. She does what Naomi asks. You could say maybe dependable. She's responsible. She's bold, approaching Boaz at night. And I just I want to share this, again, uh, for some single women, 
And that is, us men, I know you want us to be really bold and sometimes initiate things, but we can be insecure sometimes. And so some very practical advice is sometimes just given that extra boldness or nudge that you're interested in us as well is exactly what we need to initiate the relationship. Just throwing that out there. She's bold. She's humble. Calls herself servant. And she's virtuous. Moral strength and integrity And then verse 12 comes, and we get this plot twist, right? Our happy ending, our love story, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, stop. We find out that there is another Goel who's actually closer in relationship to Elimelech. So this would have typically been a Goel, a brother, or an uncle, or a cousin, and somebody is closer in line than Boaz. And he knows it, right? He knows it. So he's got his idea on on where he is on the list, right? Boaz knows there's someone else ahead of him. And unless that other Goel, who has the right to marry Ruth, denies it, right? Unless that other guy denies it, Boaz doesn't get to marry Ruth. Again, he, he could have pretended or played dumb and took advantage of Ruth, but he handled it with such integrity, both him and Ruth do. And my second point And really why I even brought up the first point is that compromising situations can be navigated with integrity. And that's exactly what we see here. Compromising situations are navigated with integrity by Boaz and Ruth. And I hope you try to avoid compromising situations in your life. We can throw out a whole bunch of them, of what they would look like, right? I want to speak to singles and then married people. For singles, for men, you're alone with a woman that you really like and you're interested in at late at night, your blood's pumping, your heart's pounding, right? You have these instincts and these desires. And I just want to encourage you, before you take that next step to act, know that that girl, before she's, or that woman, before she's your girlfriend, is a daughter of the king. So just be aware what you're doing to the daughter of the king and how you're treating her And for single women, I really want to encourage you to look for a man that respects you, respects your wishes, respects your desire for purity. And so both of you, I just want to share this to singles, and I know it might sound kind of cheesy, but I don't want it to. And it's let the sun come up on your purity. Let the sun come up on your purity. If you choose righteousness in a moment when you feel temptation, whatever it is, you will never regret That next morning when you wake up saying, I chose to live for Christ. I chose to do what the holy word of God told me to do. Now, uh, married couples, husbands, do you want a wife who submits to you the way Ruth does? Huh? Yeah, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do you provide your wife with the kind of godly leadership, care, and concern that Boaz shows? Ooh. Wives, do you want a husband who loves and cares for you the way that Boaz does, with such kindness and gentleness and respect? Yeah. But do you show the same kind of humble submission and respect that Ruth shows? What I found is it's a vicious cycle. He doesn't do for me what I want, or she doesn't do for me what I want, and therefore I'm not going to do for them. It's a vicious cycle. It happens all the time. I see it all the time, this this pattern come up. And I just want to encourage you to be the the better person who stops the cycle that says, you know what, I don't think you deserve this. You know, in your heart, this is what you're thinking. I don't think you deserve this, but I'm going to choose anyway. 
to love and respect you, submit, and so on and so on. I was doing counseling, uh, marriage counseling with this couple, and, and they were having a hard time. And, and so just I, I asked the guy, I said, hey, have you lived up to all the promises that you told this woman? All your vows, all the words that you said were true, have you lived up to them? And she interjects and says, no. <laughs> right? That's why you got to have both of them there. I mean, you know, sometimes when you just have one person there, you don't get the honest answer. She's like, no, he hasn't. But he has. He has lived up to one thing. One thing he said, he was good on his word. And so I'm like, what's the one thing? And she's like, when he said, he wasn't good enough for me. <laughs> right? This crazy uh, cycle that things get in. And I say that more, and, and it was a moment where, we, you know, you could actually laugh and stuff as more of a joke, but, but we, we see this uh, cycle in, in marriages, and I just want to encourage us to think with integrity. And, and we see in this story that that boldness leads to a compromising situation, which leads to an act of integrity. And let's finish our story starting in verse 14. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Boaz is protecting Ruth. He's saying, Leave at an appropriate time when there's no uh, negative thoughts that, that are going to be made about you. Because nothing here inappropriate happened. He's looking out for her. And he doesn't send her home empty-handed. He says, take these six ephahs. And I don't know if this is a literal six ephahs. Because if it is, it's a little bit of a joke to me. Because these are big bundles. So Ruth, in the darkness of the night, is carrying six ephahs. Trying to go undetected. Like, is that humor? Or is that literal? I don't know. But he sends her home with something. And this is really good advice. This is really good practical advice. He is looking out for his mother-in-law, his future, potentially future mother-in-law. Guys, gifts never hurt, right? <laughs> gifts never hurt. I don't have any chocolate, right? I don't have uh, any flowers, but take some barley, right? <laughs> take, proper gentleman, take some barley home. Men, when's the last time you brought your wife barley? Seriously, y'all need to get with it. Bring your wife some barley. Our chapter ends with Naomi telling Ruth to wait. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out. Ruth's done her part. She could have not handled this with integrity. She could have tried to uh, do something differently, seduce him, or maybe human reasoning even would have said that this is a better option. But because she had integrity, she has to wait. And my third point this morning is living with integrity often means waiting on the Lord. Amen. I've been like thinking of this point all week and just amen. Living with integrity often means waiting on the Lord. She has to wait. And this has got to be an anxious time for Ruth. Hey, you're going to be married to someone. It might be Boaz or it might be some other dude, right? Who is this other guy? And she might be taken under his wings. What does this guy look like? Well, is this guy a guy of character? And she just has to wait. You got, you got, you got to wait till next week to find out what happens. Don't miss church next week, y'all. 
We don't like to wait on the Lord, do we? Okay, I, I got to do this, right? I'm, I'm a worship leader, right? There's a song, and if you know it, sing it with me. It's on uh, Air One, 103.9. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. So wait, I say. Sing that with me. Wait on the Lord, wait on the Lord. He will renew your strength. And so wait, I say, what a beautiful picture. Our kids, uh, we were singing that yesterday. It came on, and I'm like, I'm preaching about waiting on the Lord tomorrow. And I'm like, kids, let's sing it. And I'm carrying them around, and they're just screaming, Lord, you know what I mean? No idea what they're talking about, and like tears come into my eye. That is such practical advice. If you are in a season of waiting, worship, worship the Lord, worship God. And, and, and worship songs that, that are scripture, right? Isaiah 40, I think it's verse 31. Wait on the Lord and he will renew your strength. You will be like eagle's wings. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint. That is a promise that we can claim together. Talking about God's promises that never fail. If I wait on the Lord, he will renew my strength. He will renew my strength. Maybe you're waiting on God for a job, Maybe you're waiting on God for a person that, that will marry you, that, that will treat you special. Maybe you have prayed for physical healing for much of your life. Here's some scripture application. And again, I want to encourage you to text in questions. I, I am leaving a little bit of application off because I want to get to it when we talk about questions. But Psalm 27, be strong and take heart. Wait on the Lord. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, right? He wants everyone to come to repentance. Romans 12.12, it says, be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. There's another emphasis on this idea of waiting. And it's so good. This is so good. It is to be still and let the Redeemer do the work. Ruth, be still. The work of redemption is Boaz's alone to fulfill. Christian and non-Christian, be still, for the work of salvation is the Lord Jesus Christ alone to fulfill. What did you deserve? To, why do you deserve to go to heaven? What did you deserve uh, to, to, to come to faith? What did you do to earn it? Nothing. You were called to be still. We are saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Not by works so that no one can boast. Amen? That is the redeemer that we worship. God alone has done the work. So Ruth, wait. So church, wait. Jesus alone destroyed the power of death. I want to leave my message with this scripture. Hebrews 2.14, it actually tells us that like Boaz, Jesus was a blood relative. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. Jesus is our blood relative who purchased, that blood purchased our salvation, and we're going to be presented without blemish, without spot. That is why my encouragement for you this morning, brothers and sisters, is to boldly approach your Redeemer, who is willing and able to help you. Amen? Amen. Let's invite my wife, Emily, up. Come on, give her a big welcome. Woo! 
Amen. She's going to come join me. You know, when I was singing a little bit earlier, I just thought, you know, our, our brothers and sisters in the African and African-American communities, they got a piano player and a drummer while the preacher's preaching. And we could have just went into a time of worship, you know? I was wishing I had that behind me. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so do we get any questions? We got a lot of good questions. I love you, honey. I, and I love doing this with you. It's just so sweet to have you up here as my wife. And Amen. He's sweet. Um, okay, this is on. Okay, um, thank you, honey. We got a lot of good questions. We did. So let's get to it. Okay. Okay, to start us off, this one is um, just kind of an overall theme of the book of Ruth. How do you discern between a divine appointment and not? Oh. Maybe <clears throat> the not would be coincidence, you know. Yeah, is this of God or is this just a coincidence? Right. I, I think... I, I think of someone in my life right away who just attributes everything to God, right? Every single thing, oh, this was God, this was God, and, and almost to the point that you, like, roll your eyes. But I, I want to caution against pessimism of, of just, no, God's not doing that. No, God's not doing that. I think that's a ditch that a lot of us fall into. So I, I really want to encourage you to err on the side of belief. But a couple things come to my mind. First is, in John 10, uh, the good shepherd says, my sheep know my voice. You may have heard us talk about that. I think it's in verse 27. But the more time you spend with your shepherd, the more you're going to be able to discern and understand, is this something that God is calling me to do? Another thing that I want to point out is I think, you know, well, first of all, God's omnipresent. God's everywhere. Is, is God around? Is God involved? Yes. He's omnipresent. He's numbered the, the hairs on your head. So he's very aware and he's very involved. I think the question becomes, is this a divine appointment? Is this guy I met at the coffee shop sent from heaven above, Right? Or, or is this job opportunity from God? And I think that's where we really need godly counsel of other people. Because we can be deceived ourselves. You need to go to someone. And I shared, honey, earlier in the service, I shared that when Julissa came, right? We just thought, hey, we, we should take this placement. But I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got to talk to some other men. I got to talk to other men who have, who have three kids. I need to know what they think. And they know my life and, and my abilities. And so um, I think we got to seek godly counsel. And Proverbs 12 you know this verse better than I do. Do you know it? Well, you texted me yesterday, so we could remember it. Um, in Proverbs twelve fifteen, it says, The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Yeah. I, I was just pondering on that. Someone actually from, from my life group shared that with me a while ago. And for whatever reason, I have a hard time memorizing it. But, but I understand the concept, right? A, a proud person doesn't want to ask other people for their insights. But a wise person is going to receive godly counsel. So I think you need to ask other godly people, probably at least two, is this from the Lord, and I should keep walking into it, is this just a circumstance, is this from the enemy, right? And I think we just need other godly people to discern. I don't know. That's mm -hmm. my thought. Very helpful. We got a lot of questions about what it means to wait on the Lord, and I think oh. you busting we out sang into about song it. Yeah, yeah. probably spurred them on to ask a lot of I, questions. I wish I had a band with you <laughs> as I was doing that, you know? So, um, a, f a few of them. What, is it, what does it look like to wait on the Lord? Does it mean just, um, does it mean that we shouldn't act and we should just wait for him to act? Or what does it mean like to look, to wait successfully? Yeah. What was the first part of the question? Well, the Do we not act? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do yeah. we not act and just wait for him to act on our behalf? Well, I think... And I think it was in my last sermon in chapter 2, I talked about that, that Ruth takes initiative, right? 
she's taking initiative in the mundane daily tasks and she's doing it with faithfulness. So I think if you sit on your hands and you wait for a cloud to part, like when Jesus was baptized, saying, that's my servant whom I'm well pleased, you may be waiting for a long time. I don't know. I don't want to emphasize or, or, or communicate that God doesn't show up in these very, very powerful ways, because he does. But all of us want this grandiose, all of us want this grandiose encounter with God, but much of the Christian life is being faithful for, to the mundane tasks that God has given us. So I, I would just encourage walking in day-by-day faith, and over time, you're going to be able to look back and see, wow, God's hand was involved in that, and he was taking care of me, and he was using my actions. Like Ruth is taking action, and so I don't know. Totally. And I would say the last, one of the last scriptures you gave, uh, Romans 12, 12, to be constant in prayer. I think um, waiting on the Lord can seem like just waiting, right? Mm. (laughs) Like just not doing anything. But we have to remember that prayer is doing something, that God answers us through our prayers. He uses prayers to move on behalf of us. And I think that's, that's an active uh, position that we can take, although it doesn't feel as action-oriented as we would like, right? I would rather just go, like, do, like, fix the situation myself rather yes. than pray about it. Yes. Um, but I've seen over and over in my life when I've been patient to act and faithful to pray, the Lord has done wow. the work for me. That's so you know, good. He's, he's answered the prayers. Yeah, and I just want to share from a very personal level, like um, the Lord came to me in a dream about three months ago, and it was just such a profound dream. And, and like I've been asking God for certain things for many, many years of my life, and I'm seeing the fulfillment of a lot of those things come to me in the last three months. Like God has just given me such desire for his word and such desire for ministry of things that I was asking him to do, and now I'm seeing it all. I honestly thought some of this would never come and it's been so encouraging. So yeah, I just totally agree. That's super sweet. Okay, here's a tough one-ish. Um, okay. Living with integrity includes having the wisdom to keep yourself out of compromising situations, especially sure. if an authority figure asks you to enter them. Hmm. With all of the evil in the world, how can we decipher which situations to enter and which ones to avoid? Hmm. I'm such a visual person. Those longer questions are hard for me. Can you, okay, here we go. <laughs> Living with integrity includes having the wisdom to keep yourself out of those compromising situations. Yeah, oftentimes I think that's true. Especially if an authority figure asks you to enter them, yeah, you need to write, we know you're supposed to obey the law or obey authority unless it's asking you to do, go against God's word. So yes, I would agree. With all of the evil in the world, how can we decipher why situ- what situations to enter and which ones to avoid? I mean, I don't want to be redundant, I mean, obviously, the more you're walking with God, the more you're going to be in line to want to do godly things, you know, the more you're doing the spiritual disciplines. I think that helps reading the Bible and praying. And just, again, I can't overemphasize the being with God's people and walking with God's people that, that you can share, hey, this is something someone asked me to do. And, and then people can speak in, no, do not do that. Like the protection that comes from a church and a local church family is so big. I mean, I, I think there are things I, I would encourage to be slow, right? Be slow to enter into things if something feels a little off, mm-hmm. right? Don't just, okay, I'll do that right away. Like pause, like test the spirits. Like if something is coming your way that you're confused about or doesn't seem right, like don't rush into it. I mean, I really would encourage that. Over time, you're going to see fruit from something if it's from God. You're going to see fruit. So I would, I would just caution like a slowness. I don't know if you have anything to add. 
And I would say, as you were saying, um, be in community, get accountability. Like, get someone to ask you the tough questions. You might be in a compromising situation that comes up repetitively. And so to have someone that you can go to who you trust in certain circumstances and situations and can ask you tough questions, like, have you gotten yourself into situations that you don't, shouldn't mm. be in? Like, just having people to talk to, yeah. right? Sin loves the dark. Sin loves to stay in the dark. So, That's like, getting word, stuff out into the light is really yes. important. Yes. Amen. Amen. Okay. A couple more. Let me find... This is fun. Are you having fun? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not as much as me. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's good. It's good to have these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, this one was really good. Um, I've been going through a difficult circumstance, and I believe that God is not against me in this, and I'm not bitter. Okay. But... Um, what, how does one discern what God's trying to teach me in these difficult circumstances? And how do I combat bitterness as it goes on? Okay, that's a long question again. I'm trying to decipher it. So Here's the question. Okay. How do I discern what God is teaching me in these difficult circumstances? Ooh, that's a great way to simplify it. Thanks. Um, how do I discern what God is trying to teach me? Wow. Yeah. I wish I had just like a really easy answer. Well, you do this, and then you discern, right? Um, I, I think the framework for how you're operating is really important, that like God is for you. Um, and so actually a question came, and I shared this in the first service, that there's a really beautiful psalm of David. And, and I, I'm getting a little away from the question, I am aware. But in Psalm 56, David says, the Lord stores my tears. He stores my tears in a bottle. And... David is a prisoner of war. He's captured by the Philistines, and he writes this psalm, and he says, the Lord stores my tears in a bottle, and he says right after that, in the next verse, he says, the Lord God is for me. I'm sure God is for me. And I just think having this framework that God is so intimately involved with each tear representing a suffering or trial in your life, he's storing them. He's taking care of them. He knows they're there, and he's intimately involved, and he wants to, to minister to you, encourage you. I think just having the framework of that is our God is really helpful as you're trying to navigate what is God teaching me, and how long is this going to last? It's that God's there. He's involved, and he, he knows your suffering. So that, that is kind of my framework um, answer of it. But um, a lot of times, we don't know how long trials are going to last. We don't know why trials come. Some come from sin. Some come from other people's sin. Some come, trials come because there's evil in the world. And we don't always know why. But I think the application is always the same. And that's running to Jesus, running to his feet, and asking him to help us and guide us. I don't know if you have anything more mm -hmm. practical. Well, as I was reflecting on it, like, y'all know my dad died four months ago. And so I would say it's been a difficult situation. It's been a difficult oh, circumstance. Yeah. What is God teaching me through this? I have to remember his character. Hmm. His character is good. His character is loving. His character is sovereign. And there are times that I'm like, I don't really like that you're sovereign over this. Hmm. But I don't, I, it's not how do I feel about his character, but what do I really believe about? Like, what hmm. do I know is true yeah. About his character. And the second wow, part of that question so was how do we not become bitter in these circumstances? And I heard this quote yesterday, and I'm just gonna share it because I was yeah. like, yeah, that was really good. This is from A.W. Tozer, and it says, As God is exalted to the right place in our lives, a thousand problems are all solved at once. Hmm. And I was like, that was good. That was mm. really good. I got three little toddlers 
and they all they seem like a thousand problems. Yeah. But as God <laughs> is exalted go. to the right place in my life, all of the little tantrums, all of the little stuff, but also the big stuff, mm. it just comes into perfect places. We remember his character, but not just remembering his character, exalting him for who he is mm. in our lives. Yeah. That's really good. And, and I just think, too, this, this kind of got brought up in a question in the first service, but in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul has gone through all these different trials, right? Shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and persecuted and nakedness and all these things that, that he experiences. And he tells us that although his outward man is wasting away, his inner man is being renewed day by day. It's this beautiful picture that, yeah, physically things may look bleak. Physically things may look really difficult, but God is renewing and restoring your spirit and to, therefore, he goes on to say, look to the things that are unseen, because the things that are unseen are everlasting. And, you know, contrast, the things that are seen are transient. They come and go. And our situations are going to present trials. You know, I know I didn't answer that one really directly, so, but what you said was really good, honey. Right. Yeah. One more or? It, yeah, if it's a one quick more, one. Okay. Um, Shoot a quick one off. Let, let's just do like a very practical one. Okay. What is one way to be, one is one practical way to be more like Boaz this week? Maybe it's not a quick one. No, no, it's okay. It's good. I'm just being slow to speak. Um, yeah, I, there's so many qualities that Boaz demonstrates. Um, our culture doesn't elevate men as protectors really these days. At least that's how it feels to me. But, but take on that role in a humble, in a very humble way. Take on the role as a protector and provider for your family. When we start talking about roles in our culture today, I know it can get tricky and things may look differently. But ask God, what does it look like for me to lead my family in humility but provide and protect for them and ask God to really bring some clarity and direction. That's what I'd say. Great. Yeah. Great. Thanks for texting yeah, in. Yeah, thank, thank you for coming up here, of honey. Um, would you be willing to just close us out in prayer? And yes. maybe everybody stand and, yes. and let my wife just bless us as we, as we wrap up this morning. Yes. Father, thanks for this time. Thanks for your words spoken through my husband. Thank you for your spirit here moving among us mm. uh, to really bring the word to life and to allow it to penetrate our hearts. I pray that each one of us would have one practical application that we can walk away with today, that we will walk away changed, we will walk away more confident and more conformed into the image of your son. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father, for this time, and I pray a blessing over everyone as they leave today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.